once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We are pleased to bring you the message from this week's worship service. For more information about this message, this week's teacher, and to watch or see other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Well, I want to say Happy New Year to all of you. It's uh, great to see someone in the auditorium today. I was worried that maybe being New Year's Day, it might just be me and my family. So it's great that all of you are here. And I I have to admit, I love New Year's. I love the idea of New Year's. I love the reflecting back over the past year and the things that have taken place in my life and, and what that's been like and kind of thinking through, hey, what does this next year offer? What is the hope? What is the new beginning that I'm going to get to experience this next year. And so it's always a time of anticipation for me, and I'm usually very excited about it. I'm excited about the message today because we have an opportunity uh, between series for me to really kind of talk about what God's been laying on my heart. And so I'm hoping as we lean forward into 2017 that the things that I'm going to talk about today are things that have an opportunity to impact my life, and hopefully they'll impact your life as well. So let's, let's pray, and uh, we're going to jump into the word today. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for a new beginning. We thank you for the marking of time. Uh, Lord, your handiwork is on the stars. You, you count the years, and uh, you offer us a new hope and a new beginning uh, each day and each year. And so we pray uh, that t- this morning that you would guide us, that you would speak through your word and through your spirit, that you would change our hearts today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, what God's been working on me over these last few years is a question that I kind of want to pose to you, and that is, does perspective make a difference in how you experience life? Does your attitude towards life affect your circumstances? Okay, and that's, that's kind of where I want to go and, and spend some time unpacking that this morning. Uh, a, a really brief example of that is uh, at our family, I have four kids, and we have a family game night that we do regularly at our house. And, and, and in family game night, we, let, we play cards and we do board games and things like that. And for some reason, when we're playing those games, my sanctification goes right out the window. I mean, there is nothing righteous about me. I am ready to win the game. We're playing a game right now called Catan, and I, you, you try to collect resources and build the longest road and put in all these little settlements and things like that. And you would think, I mean, when someone blocks me from building the longest road, I, I'm looking at one of my children like, why did we have you? You know, like this, I don't understand, and, and, and I'm just losing my mind. And when that happens, my wife afterwards, usually, not, not in front of the children, but she'll, she'll kind of, after we're, you know, we're getting ready for bed, she'll say, what was the reason for that? Like, why? You are missing the reason for why we have family game night. The reason is not for you to win. The whole point of family game night is for us to be together as a family, to, to have memories together. That's why we do it, is to invest in these relationships with our children. Those are the things that we're trying to do and trying to accomplish. It's not for me to get the longest road and conquer everybody. And you know what? When I have that perspective, it goes really well. 
when I sit and I think, this is not about me winning, this is about us being together, then I don't mind when things don't go my way. And so perspective, in that sense, makes a difference, right? Years ago, I um, saw uh, the star, Julia Roberts, and she had made the movie Steel Magnolias. It's, a, it's an old movie. It's a chick flick. I know that my man card just got lost with a lot of you right there. But I didn't see the movie. I just saw the interview. So she is talking about making the movie, and... When she was making that film, they were doing one scene that was a, a wintertime scene, but they were filming in warm weather, and everybody was really uncomfortable. They had on the big coats, and, and everybody was complaining the whole time, and she looked and noticed one of her co-stars, Dolly Parton, if you remember, was in the movie, and she was not complaining at all, very serene. So Julia Roberts walks over to her and says, how come everyone else is complaining, but you're not? And she, Dolly Parton answered and said this, you know, a long time ago, I said to myself, I want to be a star, and if I ever get to be a star, I will not complain, because I will have gotten what I asked for. Well, now I am, and therefore, I won't complain. Interesting, when we see how much her perspective on her circumstances changes the way she experiences that reality. Um, we've all experienced this at different times. Maybe you've been on vacation and your children are not appreciating what's going on, and you're thinking, gosh, if I had a vacation like this when I was your age, I would have just, you know, kissed my parents' feet and, you know, called them blessed for doing this with me. Even we were coming back from a, a long trip this last week, and we were in the car, and my kids were, we were saying, why, how come you guys aren't watching a DVD on the DVD player we have in the Suburban? And, and they're like, well, it's just kind of ruined for us because we don't have any new movies, and, and we don't want to do that. And I'm thinking are you kidding me? You don't have any new movies. Like, if I had a Matchbox car when I was traveling, when I was little, that was great. I mean, that was unbelievably amazing. I can't imagine having a DVD player and watching a film while I'm driving down the road at 80 miles an hour. So perspective in how we experience even something as simple as a car ride or a vacation makes a difference. It can affect what we do when it comes to attitudes towards work. Um, years ago, during the former Soviet Union, McDonald's opened several restaurants in Moscow and, and around the Soviet Union. And when they opened these restaurants, they had a policy that they would not hire anyone who had ever had a job before under communism. And the reason was the attitudes that were formed, the perspective on work, uh, was altered so much under communism that they couldn't get anything done. And so they would only hire someone who'd never held a job so that they could teach them work ethic. We've all experienced over the last couple of years the turmoil in our country over race as well, right? Certainly we can say that our perspective on events that happen in the news, our, our attitudes toward the police, our attitude towards things that are happening are shaped greatly by our perspective, by our history, by the color of our skin. All of these things are greatly affected by perspective. I think the way that we perceive things can have power to help us face the greatest adversity, the greatest amount of suffering, or it can trap us in a prison of pity and self-misery. I propose that perspective is what allows one person to escape the bonds of poverty, abuse, or disability, while a different perspective with the same circumstances leads somebody else to a life of victimhood and anger. So, who has the corner on perspective, right? Um, if there's a lot of different perspectives, how do we know what's really real? 
That's the question, isn't it? Um, you might be here today, and maybe you don't know Christ. Maybe you're here as a skeptic of, of the claims of, of who Jesus is. But as Christians, we do believe that someone has that perspective. We believe that the God of the universe has the corner on perspective, and that he has revealed it in his word. His perspective, then, should shape how I, as a Christian, view reality. I really think that what we're going to be talking about today has the ability to transform our lives. I think that this truth can completely change the way that we live. And, and for a lot of us, this is not a new truth. But we often fail to remember what the Bible proclaims. We forget to live in the perspective of what's really real. So if you have your Bibles, and you can turn with me to Psalm 139. Um, this is a psalm that will be familiar to a lot of you. It was written by David. So as you turn there, let's see, what, what does the Bible have to say about our reality? And today I want to focus on really on three different aspects of that. The first is that God made you and he likes you. The second is God made the path that you are on. And the third is all of life is his plan for you. You are just discovering it and that for his glory. He made you, he made the path that you're on, and all of life is his plan for you. You're just discovering it. So David in this psalm is going to pull back the curtain on our lives and pull back the curtain on God's providence and shed light to what's real in our lives. So let's hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Now jump down to verse 13. For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret place, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And we're going to go through each one of those points one by one, starting with God knows everything about you. God knows everything about you, and he likes you. The first six verses appeal to the idea of God's omniscience. Now, newsflash, God knows everything. Right? We know that. Like, cognitively, we say, okay, he knows everything or he's not God. But I think we often fail to grasp the implications of that, and I think I fail to think about the idea that God knows me personally. He knows me intimately. And we see that in these first few verses, and David is blown away by this as well. He says, oh Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. He knows each one of us personally. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You searched out my path and my lying down, you are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Now, 
what are the implications of this? God knows and cares about you. He knows and cares about you on a personal level. He knows what makes you tick. He knows the patterns of your life. He knows if you like coffee or tea. He knows the setting on your sleep number bed, right? He knows everything about you. What makes you angry? What makes you laugh? What makes you cry? God is intimately aware of each one of us. Now, I say that, and, and when David thinks about this, it, it, it blows his mind. Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 12 when he says, even the hairs on your head are numbered. That is the level of understanding that he has. He can take one look at us, and he knows. He knows everything about us. Um, intimately aware of all of our details. Now, one of the reasons that I say that he knows us and that he likes us, partially he knows everything about us because he, he made us. That's the second thing. He made you the way you are, and he designed you. Okay, let's look at verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your, your eyes saw my unformed substance. So God knows our, th our thoughts before we even think them. He knows what we're going to say before we speak it. And he knows everything about our hardwiring because he's the one who hardwired us that way. Right? At our church, we use uh, an, a personality test called the right path. And you may be familiar with Myers-Briggs or DISC or something like that. And these are fascinating. You answer 60 questions and they print something out and it tells you everything about you that you didn't know or that you did know already, but you can't believe they know it by just answering 60 questions. And as we went over that this last year, I was blown away by how God has wired me and designed me. The things even that I don't like, he has placed there for his glory. For one reason or another, whether it's an obstacle that I have to overcome, or whether it's, it's because of what he wants to accomplish through me, he's placed it there. Um, and so as I'm doing the right path, I'm sitting with someone who's helping me dissect and understand what it means, and they say, you know, your most extreme thing about you is what really defines you. And for me, I'm unstructured. That's my most extreme characteristic. And I'm not only a little bit unstructured, I'm in the top 2% of the entire country and population of unstructured. You need to pray for my wife. It's true. Okay, it drives her crazy. It drives me crazy. I hate that I'm unstructured. I hate that schedules are difficult for me. I hate that I have a hard time with, with things like this, but yet God designed me that way. In fact, the only one she said that had ever, she'd seen more unstructured is David McNeely. So if you know him, you know a little bit about me and the struggle that I have, okay? So, so I don't like the fact that I'm unstructured, but yet one of the great things about being unstructured is you're extremely flexible. You are good in a crisis. I'm actually, being over youth ministry in the last 25 years, being over controlled chaos is a good thing for me. I have been able to navigate that pretty well. If you've ever tried to herd 500 teenagers at one time, it's not the easiest thing. And so... God has gifted me to do what he's called me to do. Even the things that I don't like, he has placed there for a reason. So he knows everything about me. He has designed me the way that I am. He's hardwired me. You've experienced this as well with your children, right? If you have multiple kids, isn't it crazy how 
from two people can come so many different personalities. I mean, I have four children, and all, well, three of the four have very different personalities. One is like a carbon copy of the other. But, but other than that, it's amazing how God takes the raw material that, that we are and shapes us and hardwires us to, to reflect his glory in such a way. So he designed us. But the last point is he designed also the very path that we're on. We just get to discover it. Let's look at verse 16. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Now that, just that idea blows me away. It goes back to God's omniscience again, right? He sees our life laid out before him. He's, it, it, David is using this poetic language. I don't know if there's an actual book. If there is, I think it's a large book, right? Every day is written out for him. The days that are before me, he knows the day of my death. He sees it. When I am struggling about a future thing that I'm anxious about, God is not worried. He's not in heaven wringing his hands saying, oh, what is going to happen, Jeff? I don't know. I don't know where you're going to move or if you're going to get the house or whatever it is, right? He's not worried because he sees it. It's all laid out before him. Those days are written in his book, and he sees my path. It's almost like, I mean, I, I grew up in the video game generation. I'm probably the, the I am just, I'm 48, so right at the, the early stages. I remember Pong, right? Some of you are old enough to remember Pong. Okay, but then video games now have progressed. We're way past Pong, right, and, and Asteroids. It is now, if you've seen the video games of today, they're incredibly intricate, amazing storylines that you start out as a character and you progress through the levels and the graphics are unbelievable and now we have virtual reality on the scene which is going to transform things even more and it's and the designer has designed every single level even though you're making the decisions and you're turning here and left and right and we're making the decisions but the designer is taking you on a path he is taking you somewhere and our life is a lot like that god has designed your life and the paths that you're taking. You're making the decisions. It's your sin and the things that you're doing, good and bad, and you're turning left and you're turning right, and yet as you go through each level of this game we call life, God is taking you exactly where he wants to take you. He is putting all of those challenges, all of those things in our life for us to experience. He has created the nurture, the hardwiring for us, and the nature, the path that we are on. And we get the joy and sorrow of experiencing that on a daily basis. So we see all of this kind of laid out in a very compact form in Ephesians 2, 10. It's a, it's a pretty famous verse that Paul says, For we are his workmanship, right? He designed us. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, the path which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I think about this verse all the time, that these things don't sneak up on God. This is not a mystery to him, the path that I am on. He made me, and he made me for the things that he has me doing, the path that I'm walking. So how should our life look different because of this? What does this look like if you and I apply this to our life, right? If this is the implication that God is in control, that he made you, that he has designed the path that you're on, how does that perspective matter? Well, I'm going to start out with like a simple thing, and we're going to move to the more difficult. Okay, the, the first simple thing, 
Starbucks. Have you ever been? Uh, probably everybody's been to Starbucks at least once. There's the, the, one of the most busy ones right across the street from the church in the Regal parking lot, right? And I love coffee. I'm like a coffee snob. I like it strong and hot. It has to burn my mouth or it's not good enough. So I go to that Starbucks and I will stand in line. There's always a long line. And I don't know about you, but one of the things that drives me crazy is to be in a long line at Starbucks and I'm looking at my phone and I can be irritated. Oh gosh, I can't believe how long this is taking. And I get to the front of the line, and the people in front of me have been talking to each other the whole time. And they get to, does this happen to you? They get to the front, and they're like, oh, what do I want? <laughs> I want to take out a bazooka right there and kill them. Okay, that's what I would like to do at that moment. I don't, I'm like, I, I want a Pike's Place, grande. I know exactly what I want. I'm ready. I'm ready for my order, and then I get out of the way. That's what you're supposed to do at Starbucks. And I don't care if I'm honest, about the person who's ordering. I don't think about the barista. I don't think about any of that. But think about the focus of that. It's like I'm playing Catan all over again, right? They're in my way. They're blocking me from what I want to do. If I look at it and say, wait a second, it's not a mystery to God that I'm in this long line. Maybe there's a divine appointment that I'm supposed to be engaging in here. Maybe this person in front of me or behind me is someone that I'm supposed to talk to. Maybe the barista who's back there is having a horrible day. She's probably been there since 5 a.m., and she needs me to smile at her and talk to her and bless her. Maybe it has nothing to do with anyone around me. Maybe I'm impatient, right? Maybe I'm impatient, and God has me in that long line to work on me, to be patient. And when I think about that, it's kind of like when my wife said, hey, it's, this is what it's about. When I think about that, that perspective changes how I experience that. My whole experience changes. Okay, now that, that's an easy example, an everyday example. I can take it up a notch and say, uh, three years ago, my basement flooded. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced that. It wasn't just a little flood. It wasn't, it wasn't that my washing machine broke loose or something. Not that that's small. I mean, that's incredibly damaging. But the, the little, I don't live on a floodplain. The drainage dish behind my house was in my basement. And talk about a rude awakening. Someone bangs on your door, you run downstairs, and I am in the water up to my knees in my basement. And to top it off, I don't have flood insurance. I had $7,000 saved up because my daughter was about to turn 16, and I was so excited about getting a third car for our family. And I'm thinking, okay, wait a second. God, $7,000, I need that money to buy a car. Debt is bad. God doesn't want me to go into debt, so I can buy a car. So why would you do this? Like, why is this happening to me? And so my summer was spent mucking out a basement. I don't know if you've ever done that kind of work. It is wet. It is nasty. It is muddy. It is awful. Throwing out furniture, you know, cutting drywall, hauling out wet insulation. I mean, it was grueling and gross and hot. And my kids were down there with me. We're working. I'm covered in mud from head to toe. And I'm thinking to myself, God, why is this happening to me? And then this whole idea of perspective changes. It's like God whispered to me and said, Who brings the flood? And I'm like, oh, yeah, you are in the flood business. It's in the Bible, right? <laughs> He's the one who brings the flood. It's not a mystery to him. No one else caused that. And then whose money is it that you're spending? Is that your money or is it my money? Wait, well, it is your money. Whose house is this? Is it your house? Well, it's your house. So I guess if you want to spend your money on your house, 
Why should I complain? Whose time is it? Wait a second. I guess it's your time. If you want to spend your time that you gave me on this earth and your money on your house to repair your flood work, who am I to complain? And I'll tell you, it's like a switch just flipped. My whole countenance changed. I shared it with my family. And working in my basement, instead of becoming a drudgery, instead of becoming anger, became a joy. That's what can happen when we have this change in perspective. My problem is that it's, I want it to be my money. I'm like, I'm like one of those seagulls, right, on, uh, on Finding Nemo. Mine, mine, mine. I don't know if you've seen that. You know, I, it's my money. It's, it's my time. It's my house. And I get upset when anything messes with that instead of going, no, wait a second. I'm on the path that God has designed for me. I don't need to get upset when things don't go exactly the way that I want. I think this is the key as we ramp it up even to more awful, okay, uh, circumstance, Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. Okay, if you're not familiar with that story, they're sharing the gospel. They're in Philippi, and they are captured by the authorities. They are beaten with rods, okay, beat up by the mob, beaten with rods, thrown in jail. Their feet are in stocks, and what is their response? I can tell you what my response would be. I would be weeping. I would be crying out and shaking my fist at God. Don't you know that I'm here doing all this for you? I'm trying to expand your kingdom and this is happening to me. What is Paul and Silas's response? Singing. Prayer. That kind of confidence comes from this idea of perspective because Silas and Paul said, you know what? You know where we are right now? Exactly where God wants us to be. We are exactly where God wants us to be right now. And the response to that, when that's your perspective, is joy. You see, I often wonder, do we judge our circumstances by what we know about God, or do we judge God by our circumstances? Do we judge our circumstances by what we know about God, or do we judge God by our circumstances? Randy mentioned in a sermon a few months ago the story of Horatio Spafford, who was the one who wrote, It is well with my soul. And you think about him, and after he did, I looked him up and kind of read because I was just fascinated. I've heard the story many times, and yet I, it's still important for us to bring it up now that he was a man, he and his wife, they lost, they lost their child. Their son had died. And while they were grieving that, the great Chicago fire happened, and he lost all of his business holdings, And so he and his wife were going on to England. While he settled affairs, he sent his wife and and his daughters on to England. And then, if if you know the story, their ship went down, and his four daughters drowned. And when he was in the boat heading over the ocean, when he got to the spot, he began to write the song, It Is Well With My Soul. How can he experience the things that he writes in this verse when he says, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That is a shift in perspective. How does God's providence comfort us in our circumstances? How do we trust God like Horatio Spafford? You know, at the, at the end of this psalm, 
as I, as I continue to read through this psalm, there's a very stark shift that David has when he, he actually calls out to God and said, Lord, destroy the wicked. Destroy the wicked. And David, you think about his role, he's anointed, he's king over Israel, he's, he's always bombarded by enemies, and he is, he is angry for the people who are against God. And he asks and cries out that they be destroyed. But when I read that, I said, you know what? I'm the wicked. You're the wicked. Were it not for Christ interceding on our behalf, I would be destroyed. I am the one who is wicked. And yet, Jesus came and he lived the life that I can't live, and he died the death that I deserve so that I can have a relationship with God, so that I can experience this kind of perspective on life. He was crushed so that I don't have to be. Right? Because Jesus came, we don't have to be distracted by the trappings of this world. Satan hangs these things out there and says, this will bring you satisfaction. This is what you need to strive for. This is what's important. But when I focus on what's really real and who God is, then I realize that it doesn't matter if I get the longest road or the most settlements or if I have the most toys at the end. It doesn't matter if my basement floods or if I have to stand in a long line. What matters is Jesus. We don't despair when our basement floods because Jesus has already won the game and he's already declared us the victors in this game. I was looking on social media just a couple months ago and um, Ben Thompson, one of our former students here, he uh, wrote a post and I want to share that with you. Um, he's just graduated from college in May. And uh, let me read this. He says, Four years ago today, I received my acceptance letter to TCU in the mail. And today I signed a job offer to work for Capgemini as a consultant after graduating in May. When I reflect on who I am and where I was four years ago, I remember opening the TCU acceptance letter in the living room with my mom and getting to celebrate with her. I literally took a victory lap around our house. Little did I know that 15 days after I opened the acceptance letter, my mom would pass away after battling breast cancer for over three years. When writing my eulogy for her funeral, I wrote that adversity is not a destructor of faith, but instead it's a water to grow faith. And I adapted the statement, water for faith, as a mantra when I went through life after her passing. As I accept this position with a lot of excitement and joy, I couldn't help but feel like a piece was missing. The puzzle that's slowly been put together over the last four years at TCU is looking more complete, yet it still feels as if the final piece is missing without having mom there to celebrate with. However, I'm reminded that the longing of today is pointing towards the imperfection of this world and the love of a perfect God. Let me say that last sentence again. However, I'm reminded of the longing of today is pointing towards the imperfection of this world and the love of a perfect God. Those are the words of somebody who's living with the perspective of what's really real. You know, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, if you are skeptical about those claims this kind of power, this kind of hope, 
in the face of adversity, whether it's something mundane like Starbucks or whether it's something very serious like the death of your mother. That kind of hope comes from knowing the Savior. It comes from knowing Jesus. And you can never really understand the purpose that you were made for, why you're going through the things that you're going through without knowing him and understanding his story. Only then can you live in the reality of what's really real. And what's real is that he came so that you might have life and have it to the full. So what would it look like if all of us lived in that reality? If each one of us could remember this on a daily basis as we live out our lives? The hope that would result, the joy that we would feel, the peace that comes, I think would free us up and the power that would come to change the world by us living this way. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the love that you have for us. Lord, I thank you that you made us, you created us, you shaped us. You gave us the hardwiring that you want us to have and experience. Lord, you designed the path that we are on, and some of us have gone through such difficult times, incredible suffering. And yet you also were willing to pour out your wrath on your son so that we might have hope, that we might have peace, and that we might have life. Lord, help us to live in that reality this new year. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.